This is episode 60 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Shane Ledyard. Shane is the author of the Horse Gone Silent trilogy and epitomizes the modern American horseman. Raised in horse country in eastern Pennsylvania, he makes his living in the hunter and jumper industry as a rider, trainer, clinician, and judge. His writing influences include authors of classical novels such as F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ernest Hemingway, and Francis Hodgson Burnett. He loves spending his free time with his wife, Carice, and his children, Kevin and Katie. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Show. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm so excited to be talking with fellow equestrian fiction author Shane Ledyard. Welcome to the show, Shane. Thank you. My favorite question to ask when we jump into these conversations is, how did your love affair with horses begin? I know from galloping around your website that you were raised in old school horse country on the East Coast and have been influenced by a past involving horse shows over many parts of the country. So give us a little glimpse into uh, your history with horses, Shane. Well, I I started, um, we always had a horse or a pony growing up. I never, never really got into it. And then when I was 16, there was haunted hay rides near my house. So I went and I was working these haunted hay rides. And when I went, I would, I was driving a 82 Chevy pickup truck and I was wearing a cowboy hat, cowboy boots and Wranglers. Um, I even smoked Marlboro lights. I did everything. <laughs> and um, one of the girls there, the place was a, uh, where they were having the hay rides was a riding facility and the girls would tease me that I I was a poser and they said hey you can't you're, you're dressing like that and you drive the truck and everything but you can't ride so they teased me to the point where I they said you know we're, we're going to give you a riding lesson so I did and at the time I was playing a lot of baseball and I just uh, I went and I took a lesson and the more the, the first day and even though I was, I was, it was a hunter lesson and I was, you know, in cowboy boots and everything. And, you know, all these girls that knew everything that they were doing were around me and, you know, they're riding hunters, which is what I do now for a living. I, I still fell in love with her. So that's, that's how I got started by haunted hay rides. If you can believe it. That is a fantastic story. And, you know, I like that you looked the part. I, I have an affinity for cowboys myself, but that, that riding lesson and those teasing of those girls calling you Oh my goodness, a poser. Yes. Shifted the the your your life and where you were going with horses. You went from haunted hay riding, kind of phony cowboy, yes, to, to where you are today, which is you make your living in the hunter jumper industry as a rider, a trainer, and a judge. Can yes. you talk to us about your equestrian life today? And I mean you're living the dream. So it's, it's going, it's definitely going very well. I never doubted that I would do well in the, the industry. When I first started out, 
and it was really probably ignorance because um, when I first started out, you know, I, I, I wanted to be in the horses and I thought, well, how can I get in the horses? And I um, was taking lessons and learning, but I didn't realize the area that I was in, which is Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And that's kind of, you know, old school horse country. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the best horsemen and horsewomen in the country were within an hour. I mean, I would say it was probably seven or eight, you know, Olympic level riders and trainers, especially at that time that were in the area. So, you know, and this was before, you know, the internet and everything else, you know, so I just, you know, just kept talking to the right people and staying optimistic. And I kept taking lessons and it just turned out the people I was taking lessons with were, were some of the best in the country with their influence and their, you know, their encouragement, um, especially one woman, her name was Louise Cass, who was a licensed official with the United States Equestrian Federation, which is what I am now, she took a liking to me. And at, at 19, 20 years old, she was dragging me to horse shows to sit and watch and judge and, you know, t- teaching me a system. And I, I, it was God's providence because I, I didn't know how lucky I was. I was sort of like an outlier in that I fell into it. Now I'm a very driven person. So being a very driven person, it was you know, I just knew I had to keep learning and keep so, and I knew I had to make up a lot of time because a lot, as I said, all those people were way ahead of me, you know, get, you know, kind of, I never had the pony years and that type of thing. So I had to really hustle, but, but I was fortunate to have the right people around me. Um, my mother was very encouraging. My father told me it was a hobby and I should give it up. And that was, <laughs> a matter of fact, he really never said anything really positive about my horses about the horses until I published Horse Gone Silent. Then he all of a sudden he was interested. I that impressed him. That was, you know, 20, 25 years later. But we uh anyway I kept I had I opened a horse transport company and then I, I started breaking horses and buying buying and selling horses out of auctions. The racetrack uh Philadelphia Park, which is now Parks Casino was right near us. Um, I worked at parks so I was going to Newhall and I went the which is the horse auction. I was going to parks, I was working there, you know, I was hustling, taking lessons, and then I had I started the transport business. I just hung a sign up in the tack shop. And when I by the time I was 20, I was shipping horses up and down the East Coast. So and it just, you know, grew from there. So I had a rough, you know, not a rough, rough, you know, 20, you know, in my 20s, a lot of people in their 20s, you know, you go up and down and you know, you're learning a lot and early 30s but then I you know I got married and I have two kids and you know that kind of made me a lot more focused you know on getting the job done and I just continue to focus on very high quality you know everything I do I try to do it very well and you know that that that's led to the success of the books too sort of that drive that's that's incredible and I think wow first of all I mean what a history with horses, you must have been a pretty amazing rider and horseman to have been able to create this for yourself with other other people. I mean, they obviously saw your drive and your passion. And I think you touched on something really important, that anything is possible that you imagine or you dream if you back it up with that drive and that passion, you know, whether it's horses, whether it's, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, whether it's writing books, and there's always going to be naysayers like your father. You know, there's always going to be somebody saying, you can't do that or it's just a hobby. But you are proof in the pudding that it's possible if you put the drive behind it. And yes. that's a, an amazing story, which 
leads us to your books because you mentioned them a couple times during during the conversation about your past with horses. Tell us about your Horse Gone Silent trilogy. The first book, uh, Horse Gone Silent. I I had never planned on I never planned on writing. I went to college for small business management, community college, and to help myself and the horses, you know, to develop marketing skills and so forth. And uh, when I was there, you know, you had to take a comp class. So I remember taking the comp classes and writing and being really encouraged. They said a lot of very kind things to me. The, the teacher is very, very encouraging. As a matter of fact, I still, I still have one of the notes that one of the teachers gave me. When I was there, I didn't think too much about it. But evidently, I could always write a little bit or had a mind for it. And then my friend Laura, uh, Laura Conroy, who is, she's up, she's up north here in Northampton County. She's a trainer. Laura had this really cool horse. Uh, his name uh, was Amigo. And I used to go up and give clinics. So I give a specialized clinic because as a judge, people want the judge's opinion. So I'll go up and I would, I would help teach her kids and so forth at her barn. And she had to- told me this story one day all about this horse's history. And I thought, boy, this horse, the history of him is amazing. Like it was, it was like a Disney movie, um, everything that the horse had gone through and, and a lot of ups and downs and a very special horse. And the rider that had him was a really nice young woman named Katie Dietrich. And I thought, well, this is just a, a cool story. And it, did, it went out of my mind, it flitted out of my mind. And then one day she called me and she was devastated. And I'm friends with her and her husband and, and the horse had passed away. Mm. So I felt so compelled because we had spent so much time together. I went up to the barn and I you know, talked to her and, and, and you know, her parents and so forth. And I, I just boarded out. And then, I mean, I, tell you, it just, I just boarded out. I said, look, I, I'm going to rewrite the end to Amigo's story. And I said it, so I had to do it. And so what I did was I got in the car and I outlined everything that she had ever told me about the horse. I just quick wrote it down and I went home and I, I, what I did was I wasn't used to typing and writing a lot. So I actually did like voice to text. Mm -hmm. So I would just set it up. And when I was driving, you know, I was, you know, hands free and I would, I would just, you know, chapter one and I would force myself. I'd say, okay. Cause I was freelancing a lot at the time. So, okay. By the time you get to this job to teach, you've got to have this chapter done. And then I would force myself to do it. And then it was a, you know, a four, I believe a 14 chapter book, which I designed the books. I, my, all my books are designed for like a plane ride read. You know, that's how I like to read. I mean, I do like some some bigger text, but I, I just like that two hour, you know, sort of emotional, good, you know, like a positive read where I can walk with something. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wrote, and I wrote novellas instead of actual, you know, instead of novels. And I, I what I would do was I would come home uh, at night after nine o'clock, and then I would edit each chapter. You know, I'd edit the chapter that I did that day. And it took me, it only took me like, three months to write the book. Really, honest to goodness, the whole idea was to present it to Laura. So rather than the horse passing in the end, something else would happen, mm-hmm. right? So I was really excited about that. But what happened was organically, you know, you do a Google search, you know, just like, oh, how to write a book. And then it was like, you know, and then it's like, this is how you publish. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll, you know, look at this. And then I was in, this is going to sound like a stretch, but it's the story this will make sense. So I gotten injured 
and I was at a doctor's office getting uh, acupuncture. Mm-hmm. And they had them leave the needles in me and I'm, I'm lying there on the table and I, I look up and I see this book and the book was The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Great book. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, so anyway, I ended up like, you know, the next time I was in, it just struck me. I don't know why it struck me. So I read the book and it was a really helpful book just from a, you know, a personal standpoint. But what it led to was a Google search. So I started in typing in The Power of Now and then led to a book by this really kind of cool but whacked out guy named James Altucher, who writes all this stuff, like these choose yourself books. And it was like, he had a book like The Power of No or something like that. And then it ended up being, I Googled, I looked into him and he, I found this book called Choose Yourself. And so this is all in this very short, compact period. Mm-hmm. Then I go to the book, I'm reading the book, and then there's a section, like a one page that says, choose yourself and the idea of the book was choose yourself like don't worry about working for someone else and then i'm onto more mindset to begin with but it said this is how you can choose yourself for example you can self-publish a book and he just gave like i don't know like seven bullet points so like it just like a dumb dumb i just it's like okay i followed each step and it led me to amazon you know kindle direct publishing so I took the book and I followed the steps and I uploaded the manuscript and I made kind of a, like an okay cover, you know, for, through the cover creator. We ended up changing it, which I think we talked about a bit. We changed the cover. I, I made the cover and I uploaded it. And then the whole reason, main reason I had to do it was that I need to get copies, right? Because they'll send you copies. So I get my copies, you know, I ordered like five author copies and I'm excited and I bring one to Laura and I bring one to, you know, my dad and, you know, a couple of people and obviously wife and everything. And then after about 10 days, I was like, oh, I'll just look and see. And then I was like, there was like seven reviews and it was like nine reviews. And the next day and it was like 12 reviews and I'm like, holy crap. And then I look into the stats and I'm like, oh my gosh, they actually, they're buying this book. And... <laughs> Then I went, then I really went, wait a minute. I got to, there are people actually like this. And then I was, then somebody made like a comment, like a grammar, you know, grammar thing. And I thought, oh my gosh, because I didn't really, I didn't professionally do it. I edited it myself, which as you, I'm sure you know, is a big no-no. Big no-no. no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> so yeah, not good. So I had to end up redoing the manuscript. I've probably redone the manuscript five or six times now, but I, I, I found this editor, a woman named Catherine Stone in California, and she's just this phenomenal human. I found her on Fiverr, and she became my editor, and she read the book, and she redid it, and she went, I kind of had to backtrack, and I fixed a lot of things, and it ended up being, after that, and not even on like just a small niche, but like on a bigger level, it ended up being Amazon bestseller, mm-hmm. and you know, and that kind of hit a few times, so then I knew I had something, mm-hmm. so at that point, I thought, well, okay, well, they like this. And then just like when, you know, when someone has a baby, you know, what does someone say every time they see it? They say, well, when are you having another one? Mm-hmm. And then it kind of turned into that, you know, well, when's your next book? Was well, come on, man, I wrote a book. And, you know, that's good enough, right? But it's not good enough. So then that led me to, to Sycamore Whispers, so which was the second one. But, and, 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 and a third. So yes, there's a third, the third one on there. Yes. <laughs> complete the trilogy so sycamore whispers sycamore whispers was born because because people were asking they said you know when's your next book and i 
I just said, I, I, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. And it just, when I write, it just kind of comes. I just, it just, I don't know how, how to describe it. Um, sometimes I dream about things and I wake up and I know what they are. Some, and then, and then Sycamore Whispers, you know, there was a lot of that interaction. And I, I, started, I wrote Sycamore Whispers and I loved it. I mean, I loved it. And I, I love Sycamore Whispers. Personally, I liked it more than Horse Gone Silent. The writing was way more sophisticated. The, uh, the technique was better. Like, I just knew it was better. And first it was, you know, it got good reviews. Like Horse Gone Silent's gotten great reviews and, and Sycamore Whispers, it got good reviews. But it wasn't selling like crazy like Horse Gone Silent did, and I, which kind of surprised me. And I, it surprised me because I knew it was better. And I, I think, or what I, what I think now is I because I think a lot of it is just because of the title. I think mm. the title was a little random, Sycamore Whispers. It wasn't really attached to anything. You know, it's not going to come up in a Google search. It's you know, it's but but Horse Gone Silent. Any horse girl, if you kind of see horse and then a picture of a pretty horse and you know, I know is for me, like I go, I'm just drawn to that, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's probably what helped that. Mm-hmm. So so then I was a little irritated because I truly believe that I had this better book. It wasn't getting the same amount of attention that I thought it deserved. And and I needed a way to get that attention. So I I was thinking about it and thinking about it. And it was just a, a, a morning. I just woke up and I went, wait a minute. And I realized that the horse that I used in Sycamore Whispers, even though it was a completely different horse, I realized that it was matched the description of an older horse in Horse Gone Silent. And it was a mare, it was a chestnut mare. And I thought, well, now I think you know, whether it wasn't subconscious, I mean, maybe it's subconscious, who knows? But I was like, holy crap, I can ma- I can tie this in. And then, so that's what I did. And very similar to the notion of what happened in, in Horse Gone Silent, where a horse, you know, got resold and, and got a name change and so forth. And then, and then, then Brielle's Promise was born. And that was the third book in the trilogy. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the easiest one to write because, I used and with Horse Gone Silent, the horse the entire time narrates the book. In Sycamore Whispers, it's from the perspective of a little girl named Emma Sterling. And then the third book is a combination of the two. So when the when the when the reader goes in, it starts off from a person perspective, and then the middle of the book to the complete end, it's uh, Ophelia, uh, the horse. So it's you know you have you kind of get those both both uh, perspectives from it. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like your life has been full of these little miracles of the universe just kind of showing up and, and inspiring you and then you following the lead, like the, the women that wanted to give you the horseback riding lessons, then to yeah. accessing the you know star riders you had in your backyard, to following your muse when an inspiration struck to write a book. I mean, you know, because you never set out to write a book, but you just followed you followed these signals and then these things yes. started happening. I think what was interesting, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but, but one of the things you talked about was, I mean, and thank you, it was an amazing story. But one of the things that was really interesting to me is how you talked about, you know, you, 
you put it on a print on demand, the first book on a print on demand platform, which is KDP or Amazon. And, you know, you were just doing it really for your friends and your family in honor of this horse. And then, you know, people really started being attracted to it because there are way more horse lovers out there that want horse books than people think, you know, so people were attracted obviously right away to your book. And I think some of the things that you talked about are things that new independent authors often learn along the way, right? You know, it's like proof your book, work with an editor, you know, think about your cover design, but these, but, but these are all things that you learn along the way and they're lessons learned. And it sounds like you completely yes. embraced them. And then people loved your work and then it led you to write two more books, which is, yes. which is really incredible. And then, so I wanted to ask you another question too. You said novella. So did it, did Horse Gone Silent start out as a novella or is it still a shorter novel? And you know, how many pages is it? How many pages are your, your books? Uh, the average page length is like 125. Okay, so, so it's a, a trilogy of shorter novels, essentially, yeah. or w- yeah. which people call novellas. So it's a, it's a, a binge read possibility. Yes. yes, definitely. And I've been getting that, that people, you know, now that the trilogy has been out, the marketing, my, and my marketing is really going to be ramped up in September, from mm-hmm. September through December. I, I, need, I wanted to spend, you know, the first couple of months to get, you know, because I delivered that or I, or, I, or I had this in the spring. And rather than doing like a big opening or anything like that, I, just from my experience as an author, there's these glitches or a word will come up that's like a spelling thing or something. And I thought, well, I can always launch when I, you know, the launch can be a little bit organic. You know, and I, I'm careful, I'm very careful about that. Mm-hmm. So now, and there was, there was issues with the, you know, a couple issues with the cover that you never would have thought you would, would come up, but, you know, we, we did some things and changed the cover a little bit. And, you know, now I believe it's, you know, I've got it just right, you know, so now we'll start to market and so forth and go forward with uh, Brielle's promise and marketing the trilogy. That's actually really smart uh, to, to sometimes, you know, with first books, you just want to hurry up and, and get them into the world. And, yeah. but what, you know, what's really interesting is some authors now hold off on the full blown marketing and outreach. Like you're talking about when the full series is complete, because what happens is we are now in a binging consumer society around entertainment and you know think about how people will watch like an entire series and on tv in two days it's the same with books like when and and it happened to you when you when you wrote your first book people are like when's the next one when's the next one yes so there it's actually a very smart strategy to get get the series out there get it complete let it live its organic life and then do a big push when all of the books are available so people can just binge them and then they're you know for the reader it's a kind of a blessing too because there isn't a huge gap between releases and that you know there's they don't have to wait and then they don't have to forget some of the details of the story because they can go right from one to the next to the next and some readers actually prefer it that way they won't buy a book until the entire series is out so that's a smart marketing strategy thank you it was an accident but thank you (laughs) and and I feel like with creative lives and when we follow our muse or when we're we're doing something that we're passionned about a lot of it is happy accidents and you know and and that's perfect and you you discussed cover redesign so you know as you're getting ready to launch this trilogy and really get it out to the masses and 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 do do more publicity for it Talk to us about why you decided to redesign your covers now that the third book in the series is out. 
the first horse gone silent when I when I designed that it was designed on cover creator through KDP mm-hmm. and it was just you know it was good enough and and I'm more I'm I tend to be a good as the enemy of great type of person but that also gets me in trouble because I never get anything done mm-hmm. right so if I'm so I thought well it's a nice cover it's a nice cover and I had that for a while and then the Sycamore Whispers was cover was it because it was a different book? Now I've got one cover looking one way, another cover looking another. Well, there's no cohesiveness. Mm-hmm. Then I made the Brielle's Promise cover, right? Knowing that I had to, I did the Brielle's Promise cover, knowing that was a trilogy. So then I had to backtrack and then redesign, you know, the first two so that they all looked the same way. Now I got them all and I got them all done and they looked really good. And then I actually, I went to, I went to Amazon. I was very, you know, I was very excited and I looked and I realized that the way it was done, they're beautiful covers, but you couldn't see that it was a trilogy. Mm. So unless you, you know, Amazon said it kind of says that and there's notes about that, but it, it didn't say, it, didn't, it wasn't clear that, you know, it was like Horse Gone Silent trilogy, you know, book one, book two, book three, because of the coloring design. So that we had to go back and we had to just switch that up, take a little bit more emphasis off the author name, mm-hmm. put it more on the trilogy part. So, you know, those are those tweaks that I knew from the other two books that if I released this trilogy and was telling the world too fast, I knew there was something, you know, I just I, I just knew there was something that would come up. And, you know, so and my son, you know, like my son of all people who's, you know, 13 and you know, I mean, I've had the horse gone silent and he caught a, he caught a mistake on the back cover. Mm. And he was just, I just said to Kevin, we were at a campground. I said, Kev, give this book to, you know, it was Aunt Pat or one of somebody there. I forget who we were giving it to. But anyway, I said, hand this to her. So he flips the book over and he's just walking it over to her and he goes, hey, dad, you see this? <laughs> no, Kev, I didn't see that. You know, so then it's like, oh my gosh okay, you know, focus. And then it's back to the cover because I've got a cover guy now. I don't do any of this stuff on my own. Mm-hmm. So we went back and we fixed those mistakes. But now, you know, without a doubt, I mean, this it's it's set and it's beautiful. And I mean, the manuscript doesn't change. I mean, this manuscript's great, but that's mm-hmm. the perfectionist side of me mm-hmm. wants everything to be really cohesive. So that's that's kind of how the book covers had to get, you know, changed and redesigned. And there's a horse on every single cover, I imagine, to attract your reader. <laughs> yes, there is. Absolutely. That's exciting. And I think uh, you said a couple of things that are really great in there. One is take your time. You know what I mean? It's like take your time and, and get it right. And then really go, go all out. You know, it's like, sometimes we get so excited to get, you know, sometimes I believe you just got to rip off the bandaid and push out into the world and learn your lessons. But at the same time, there's also beauty in knowing it's going to come into the world and taking it a little slower. So you can get all those things right. Because the things that you're talking about happen to all of us, you know, it's like, you think you've got this thing perfect. You're ready to get it out there. And then, you know, and you spend so much time with it yourself that it's hard to see don't see it you don't see it anymore because you're you're with the word so frequently and you've spent you know years months working on this thing and then you know even when you pay for an editor and a copy editor and a cover designer 
they're just human too. They're, you know, yeah. they, they can miss things also. So it's like things will always pop up that you, ha and that's the beauty of independent publishing is you can get in there and you can fix it really quickly. I had a, a similar oops on uh, my book, Cowboy Away, my, the second in my, in my series, in my trilogy. And uh, it was perfect. I, I did everything right. You know, I worked with the cover designer. I worked with an editor. I worked with a copy editor. I had beta readers everything yeah. i hit the publish button and i'm like finally you know there's not going to be any accidents <laughs> i opened the book and i looked at the the proof copies i i looked at everything i opened the book and i noticed that epilogue is spelled wrong on like the oh. very first page of my book when that's, i get there and i was good. like oh my god like the o and the u were were flipped yeah. or something but like, those are the things that you just yeah. you know, get, go by, you know, the, you're yeah. in the guts of the books and like, so you could, you could yep. spell chapter wrong and not have even noticed it. So right. it happens to all of us. I, that is such a great story. Right. I'm glad you shared that. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to ask you too, earlier in the conversation, you mentioned when you worked on Sycamore Whispers that at the, initially it wasn't part of the trilogy and right. you had put it out and it was, uh, you know, not doing what you wanted it to do. So did you then unpublish it, rework the story, republish it so it could be connected in the trilogy? Or how, how did you work? How did that all I work? I didn't have to change that book oh. at all. Oh, wow. So you wrote the sequel and you didn't even really realize it. <laughs> that's correct. Well, that's a, I mean, wow, that's amazing. That's like the, that's, the that's muse had ideas for you. <laughs> So I had this um, Sycamore Whispers was completely independent. I never had any intention of doing a trilogy at all. And the motivation to create the trilogy was because I wanted more attention to Sycamore Whispers. And I figured if I wrote the Horse Gone Silent trilogy, mm -hmm. right, if I write the trilogy, well, then now they got to read it. So then people will be like, oh, wow, that's, you know, his writing up better and better. And this is a really touching story. And, you know, I wanted to reach people reach more people with it but yeah god's providence because it just i i had written it and then when i wrote brielle's promise i didn't have to change anything on the first two and i just melded the two together in brielle's promise and i and i i'm really like the way it came out that's fantastic and i i think you also mentioned something that's important to know is that the more books you write and the more time you spend writing the better your writing gets so you know just keep writing and creating and you know it's like you don't always have to keep going looking back i mean you you created a body of work that you're proud of and it started with just this one passion project that was for family and friends and now you have readers that love your books you have amazing reviews on amazon and you know i was wondering in your trilogy is there a message that you hope your readers will will grasp as as they've finished reading the books is there is there something special in there that you hope that they're getting from your words? Yes, uh, for sure. Um, there's probably, a, there's probably several messages, but I, I think that the biggest thing that I want people to, to understand is that my tagline for a worst gone silent is stay strong and courageous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that comes from a Bible verse, stay strong and courageous. Do not be afraid for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. Now, people i understand that you know that might not be people's reason to write oh it's, it's 
it's not a religious book by any stretch. But what I do know is I know that people in the horses or people that are around the horses and people that love animals, you know, they share something common, you know, no matter what their religion or what their background. And that's there's going to they're going to struggle and things are going to be against them and things are going to hurt bad. And the point of not well, one of the, one of the things I want to get across is, you know, you have more on your side than you believe. Mm. And when and when, you know, people read Sycamore Whispers and Brielle's Promise, they'll see how how nature can intervenes on our behalf if we if we have the faith and, and we allow it to happen and then it's gonna it's gonna be okay like no matter how bad the struggles are that you're going through and and the the horses um the two horses uh sort of the stars in it which are Kalibo and Brielle the star the sort of the star horses carry that whole mission or carry that whole idea and then in the last book uh especially but um in Sycamore Whispers and Brielle's Promise you, the reader meets Emma Sterling, a girl named Emma Sterling, and as for a teenage girl, she she can really tug on the heart of the people that are reading and and let them and let other, especially teenagers and young adults, you know, realize that there's hope. You know, no matter no matter how despairingly things seem, uh, there is hope. And sometimes where you don't expect it to come from, and and that the books definitely tell that story. That's lovely. Uh, I the perfect message for anyone, really. I mean, because life can be difficult, and you know, when we look to nature and horses and our creativity, it, those things are easier, I think, to manage, and they they caretake us. You said something interesting. You have written from the perspective of a horse. How do you? How do you get into the mindset or, you know, where does your inspiration from writing from the point of view of a horse come from? Like, what do you do to get in that frame of mind? It was easy. And that's the funny thing. It was, it was easy because when I remember when I first started it, I thought I would write it, you know, like telling a story, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not quite sure when it flipped. I know it was early on. But I, when I started just being Kalibo, who at first in the book is bravado his name was changed you know as he went on through his life so when i first started being bravado it's just it was easy like it just came out like you know i'm a i'm a foal in a field and this is what i'm seeing and you know i'm i i'm getting sold and i've got to go on a plane and go to america and i'm scared to death and this is what i'm going through mm -hmm. and yeah it just I don't know if it's because I'm with horses almost every day. I don't think I'm a horse whisperer or anything funny, you know, anything like that, you know, that sort of cliche thing. But I do know I understand horses and I empathize uh, with them. I just really believe that horses, they're, they're saying something. Mm. And I thought it was, it just felt more natural to do it that way, you know, mm -hmm. which a lot of the right. And then it's funny. And I also think it helped me as a writer because I was talking, it was very simplistic, you know, because I was new at writing. So I talked like a horse. Well, how sophisticated does a, you know, a two-year-old horse talk, you know, mm -hmm. and so, and as he grew, so it was a, my writing kind of evolved with him as he went through the story. It got better and better. So yeah, just, just did. So I, I mean, a matter of fact, I, my, I joke around with my daughter a lot, you know, at the barn and I, 
I do. I, even when I'm training horses or I'm watching people ride, I'm always thinking what the horse is. It's always like a kid, like a joking around voice in my head about what the horse is saying. So maybe it, maybe it's just something wrong with me. I don't know, but it's just something that just sort of comes to me. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. I think that's actually incredibly special for a trainer to have the horse's perspective in mind all the time. And then as you're writing the books, think about how a horse is, is feeling. I think that's an extra special way to look at being with horses. And, and I do believe you're right, like being with horses a lot and, and having relationship with horses and watching how they communicate with each other probably makes certainly makes it easier for me to get into their heads. And I'm, I'm sure that was the same for you. And thank you for sharing that with us. So you're like in a really awesome position to start really pushing and talking about your books. Uh, now that you've got, you know, all the cover designs going on, you feel like you spent enough time catching all the little things that, that slipped through. You've got the third book out, which, you know, just recently happened. And, you know, you already have tons of great reviews on Amazon. So what is what are you planning? How are you how are you gonna how are you gonna broaden the conversation around your books? Like how do you plan on reaching your readers now? Well, Carly, I tell you the truth, I I need advice. <laughs> I do need some advice there. I have a I do have a strategy in place. I've been mm-hmm. I've been having a lot of conversations over the last couple of months. One strategy that I intend to use is um, with Instagram. I am going to take and it's not going to be sequential. Mm-hmm. but I have a photographer and I'm going to take pictures of scenes from the book. Cause a lot mm-hmm. of the scenes are from where I grew up, my area, it's all fictitious, but you know, there's still scenes nevertheless, you know? Um, so I'm going to take pictures of scenes, pictures of horses that remind that that are similar to that, that really high quality pictures though. And I'm going to post twice a week uh, from September beginning of September through the end of the year, and then put in uh, a line from the book when I post. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be one of, one of the techniques that we're going to use. The other strategy that I'd like to use is cause marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking for the right match. If there's someone out there that, you know, maybe got hurt and, you know, they got hurt and maybe it's, you know, because it's in the horses. And, and we've, I've done something like this before. It has worked very well, where I say from a a given time period, I'll donate. So I, in, in the other example, I donated a dollar for every softback that was sold. And I did that for Equestrian Aid Foundation, I believe was the, and it was fantastic because people, you know, people respond to that. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, you know, it gives the book more of a purpose and so on and so forth. So looking for a good cause to tie in too. And then, you know, we'll market that as well. And, you know, as far as marketing goes, I, that's part of, you know, that's part of the next, you know, the next step is really getting aggressive and, and, and learning more about marketing and doing different techniques. Those are the tactics right now and, and part of a holistic strategy we have for the end of the year. And, that, and that's smart. I mean, the marketing is, an, is a beast. It's like an ever-changing thing to wade into deep, deep pond, you know, but the, the, but it's smart. You're thinking about a strategy around the whole book series and you're educating yourself and you've got a few strategies set up, but you're looking at diving deeper and cause marketing is a really special way to give back to your community through your books. There's so much you can do. And being on this show is part yeah. of that as well. I mean, there's media opportunities. So you're, you're getting yourself set up to have 
a, a, a brilliant release around the three bucks. So good on you. Thank you. You know, and I, and organically, you've gotten some really fantastic reviews on the book that you never really intended to yes. write, which has now become this phenomenon. So, you know, as a, as a author, how, what are, how do you feel about good and bad reviews? Like, wh- how do you handle reviews once your words are in the world? No, I, lo- I love good reviews. I, I, I especially like the ones that are touching. You know, I, I appreciate anybody that takes the time to, to say something. I mean, it, it's pretty, it's very humbling to have people even just take the time to write the review. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and I don't know, you know, people realize how powerful it is just to take that, you know, two minutes. So I, I'm very grateful for the reviews. And as you know, it's, you know, that's really it's very important to the, you know, to the development of the books and getting them sold. Uh, I'm a pretty sensitive person. Mm-hmm. So negative reviews, I mean, I, the, the negative reviews I really get are, just are hurtful. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, people can be really, really rotten. Um, it's not a lot, you know, I mean, I, you know, you, you can see that the great reviews far outweigh that, but it's funny, even just the few negative ones you get, well, you think, how could somebody be so nasty? And, and and you could tell they didn't even read the book, mm. you know. They there's no way they did, and uh, I, I so I don't respond well to it. I don't like it. I try to ignore them. When I check reviews, I and I scroll. I try to scroll right past them. I try not to give it any life because it can be it can be discouraging. And then what I'll do is if I do get discouraged, you know, if I do kind of get in that vortex of reading reviews, I'll go and I'll read you know you know five or six of people that really lifted me up or I'll, you know, go to thank you notes that people mm-hmm. have written. And, you know, I have a, I have a whole file in my filing cabinet called inspirational mm-hmm. where just, you know, people have communicated with me. And if I get a little discouraged, you know, cause I'll, I'll go and read that because it's that the good definitely way far outweighs the bad. And the other thing, you know, it's like one of my favorite authors, Francis Hodgins Burnett, you know, The Secret Garden, I think it was a great book. And I love F. Scott Fitzgerald. You know, he's a writer that I love. You know, those guys aren't getting five stars across the board either. So I can't, I can't feel too bad, I figure. Yeah, and I'm not comparing myself to him by any stretch. But, you know, the point is, is like everybody's got an opinion. And, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, some people can be pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the majority, people have been fantastic. Yeah, uh, there. I don't think there is any successful author there that hasn't been through the ringer with people being tough, you know. And it, it's, uh, and you know, I feel like we're kindred spirits here because I also have an inspiration folder that I keep for Doesn't moments mean. like that for when I'm feeling a little down about my creative journey because being a creative is tough. I mean, you're you're pouring your emotion out there, you're you're giving it all, and it's subjective, right? You know, it's like, you cannot please everyone. And, and I will say you have pleased the majority of your reviewers. They all have left you very positive reviews. And, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. And that's great advice for other authors, you know, just take it with a grain of salt, you know, because, you know, there's people that, that, that do want to tear you down for some reason. And, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with a negative review, as long as it's constructive. You know, here's here's where I had trouble with something, or if it's a grammatical thing, that that's totally understandable and that's fixable. But just saying I didn't like it, or you know, I I had an interview with uh, Ann Hunter. I think she was one like episode five, and she said someone just left a review that said hell no. I mean, I wouldn't. 
I know. Well, what yeah, would tell someone to to say that? You know, so it's yeah. just it's really um, it's an interesting battle that authors have to fight with themselves and others daily. And you know, I just wish they would get rid of the star ratings because I think that that is such a dismissive way to look at a creative body. You know, it's like feel free to say what you want to say, but I don't feel like star ratings can any way verify the value of a creative work, you know? So I just wish they would get rid of that. Yeah. I wish they would get rid of those altogether because it's like, how do you, how do you say something's one star or, or or five star or three star? Then what does that even mean? It doesn't mean anything. (laughs) You know what I mean? I just uh, rather have it just be like, you know, open commentary. That's interesting. Yeah. I was just thinking about that as you were talking. So here's a great question. I love that you are a man because a lot there's a lot more women writing equestrian fiction, I think. So I love that you are a man writing horse stories in this world. I mean, because we all know that the equestrian industry is pretty much dominated by females. So I love that that your voice is is a part of this conversation. I love having you on the show. What advice would you have for anyone who's interested in writing equestrian fiction right I mean, you definitely need to write uh from the heart mm. you know uh don't write what people what you think people would want to hear that's 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 not a good way to write write from your heart and 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 tell the story as you really think it should be told don't don't try to massage it to make it work for someone else um and then that way the words will flow you just yeah, just you just have to let it and let the words flow, let let the thoughts flow. I I my advice would be to you know to type first and edit later. Don't type and then edit a line. You know just just bang it out and let it sort of overtake you. Um, and I think that's where your best work's going to come from because it's going to come. It comes from literally within. You know when you can get in that state of flow. I, I I would say don't ever think it. You know it's okay to have you know your own stories in there too. I mean you know, it's your own influence. And I think that's natural and a part of it. So, yeah. That's that's great advice. I mean, where else would a fiction writer write from other than their life experience or things that they've read? Of course, it's fictional stories, but our lives influence that. And I love uh, the don't edit as you write, because actually that's two different sides of your brain, you know, your creative brain and then your, your concentrated brain. So you actually trip yourself up when you edit as you write, but that's a that's an early lesson learned, I think, for mm-hmm. a lot of new new writers. And I love that you mentioned flow. There is nothing better than that feeling of being yes. completely swept away by what you're creating and what you're writing. And I imagine flow for you, are you still writing where you're dictating uh, or are you actually now typing? At- so I did, I dictated the first book. I tried to do, I tried to just follow that, but it just, it didn't work. I don't know why. Well, I know why, because the second book was not from the horse's perspective. Mm. And I, you know, it was work. You know, the first book didn't really feel like work. The second book felt like work. I loved the results. Yeah, the second book I typed and I tried again for Brielle's Promise, but I ended up, I ended up on the keyboard and I was happy to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, but I will say that if you can get, if someone can get that when you're, if you can voice the text or, you know, Google Docs is what I used. Mm-hmm. If you can get that rolling, I I can remember sitting, you know, I was coming home and it was one of those things where I was like, I'm not going home until I get this done. I can remember sitting on the side street here where I live in Percocet. I parked the car and, you know, I mean, you know, you talk about flow and I was just, I mean, 
it was like just pouring out. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I, you know, did a chapter in, you know, 15 minutes. I mean, it was like, it was the easiest thing I ever did mm -hmm. as far as that goes. And that really had me like ramped and emotional. And, you know, it, that was phenomenal. I can't say I felt that, that rush, so to speak, when I would type, you know, that, that, that sort of, that really pure feeling that you get, you know, where it's like, it really, it really overtakes you. For me with writing is, you know, when I, when that right word would just drop right in at the end of a chapter, you know, the, you know, and, or the end of the book, that's, you know, for me, that it came that way when I type, when I, when I would talk, it was like a constant, you know, so, but a tough place to get to. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But I mean, isn't that funny too, how your writing life evolves, you know, sometimes one thing works for one project, but it doesn't work for another project and you have to shift to a different direction. But there's always that element of flow when you're really connected to what you're creating and what's going on. I, I've tried dictation and it, I just, it doesn't really work for me. I have to be typing on the keyboard, but it doesn't mean that it won't someday. You know, yeah. I feel like it's something you have to kind of practice. And for you, I mean, you were just full on with your muse. I mean, that was your first book project and this is the way it, it, it came out of you and it wanted to be told. So I think it's, it's cool that you've mentioned the evolution of your writing journey also, but always there's that element of, you know, feeling like kind of otherworldly when you're lost in what you're creating. So that's, yeah, that's cool. For sure. I always love to ask these questions because I like to get the perspective of different authors and and there's some similarities but there there's often differences and it's an opportunity for me to learn and for listeners to learn but for you what has been the hardest part of being an author you know on your author journey and then on the flip side of that what's been the the very best part i mean we all love our readers obviously the the readers who leave us the reviews and really love our books and that's who we write for uh, but you know what what's your journey been like hardest and best part the hardest part is not being able to just continue doing it. Mm. You know, it's it's uh, it's getting to the point where I, I do think that, you know, another book or two I could really be doing and, you know, more focused on this and other parts of my work because um, I have, you know, so many other parts where I, I teach and I coach writers and I judge. So I do clinics. So that's very time consuming. I think that the hardest part is, is just knowing that I have to do those things and and knowing that every day I'm out of flow from writing, it's harder to get back. It's 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 this it's no different than not going to the gym. Mm -hmm. When you don't go to the gym, you, the more you don't go, you're like, oh man, this is gonna be, you know, the harder it gets. So that's the tough part for me. And I almost think it gets me a little anxious because mm -hmm. I know I've got a lot in here that it needs to get out. I think it and it's always running in the background that I just you know, so for getting getting that time to write and getting to the next project, I think is the hardest part. Marketing strategy is always something that's just like this mystery. You know? So it's like, what do we do? So we do nothing, you know, or, well, I'm selling a few every day, so it must be going well, but I could be doing a million times better. Like if you sell books every day of your life, you're doing something right, but how do we get it to, mm -hmm. you know, how do you hit that? you know, that mark that, you know, I've got a mark in my head where I say this, this to me is a success. Mm -hmm. It's a success, but from a sales standpoint, because I'm, I haven't gotten the readership that I know this, this could touch. Mm -hmm. And I think that always, that's another thing that always gets, I know it's worth the read and I know it can help people getting it to them 
you know, that's that's probably my other thing that gets me. The best part is my kids. Mm. My dad wrote a book, and and my eight, ten year old daughter, who you know, she started writing when she was eight. Now, you know, she she's got on this laptop I'm talking with uh, here. You know, there's a whole bunch of stories that she's done, and they see that, and they see a project start from start from the beginning, middle, and end, and they see it at home. It's not like I'm off at work, so. Mm-hmm. I think that's been, you know, the coolest part. Oh, that is so cool. You are, you know, showing them that, you know, dreams are possible and anything's possible. And I love that your daughter is writing. She sees dad doing it. I mean, you are the ultimate role model. I'm sure they probably really love that you have horses around all the time too. I mean, that's awfully cool. But, but you're, you know, you're really showing them that this is possible. And, you know, being a creative is not... Uh, it's a good thing, and it, anything is possible. And the the marketing part, right? So you are not the first, nor I think the last person to say that on the show. It is a mystery, and it is something we have to constantly work at. Because if you really think about it, there are so many books in the world, you know. And if you're not pushing it out there and letting people know it's out there, it just it just gets lost, and that's how it is. That's why I'm really trying to bring together equine authors and build our community, so we're all supporting each other. Because I really feel like we get the word out even more strongly when we're working together. So I'm glad that you're on the show and you're part of this community and this, you know, showcasing the fact that there are so many a horse lovers that want to read our books, but there are so many horse books out there that are available for them that they may may not know about. So we're spreading the word together. I like to ask this one too. Is there anything one of your readers might be surprised to learn about you? Like, can you make the world's best waffle or, you know, (laughs) Do 75 backflips at once? Uh, let's see. <laughs> well, probably the most surprising thing is I never, back to sort of the beginning of our, our interview, is I, I never wanted to be in the horses. I always wanted to play ball. Mm. And that was my, baseball was my first love. And as deep and trenched as I am in this horse industry, and, and as many people know me, you know, people look at me and they assume you know, oh, he's just always been a horse guy. But I, you know, I started so late. I, I think that's probably, you know, people are usually the most surprised by that. You know. So did you have like dreams of major league baseball playing and you know, yeah, the World Series? I, I think I had, you know, all those, the same things that, you know, a lot of young fellas have as a pretty good ball player. I never had the aptitude or the understanding of how to develop those skills. And I was so grateful that, you know, it's just, it's life changed when I went to the horses, but then all of a sudden I had all these great riding coaches around. So it was pretty clear what direction I had to end up going. So. And how smart of you to follow that direction that kind of fell into your lap. You know, so many people ignore those signs and don't, don't follow like the bright light that's saying, come this way. And, you know, you may not have wound up ending playing ball, but like, look at this miraculous life that you've created around embracing horses. And it just sort of, the path was sort of there and you were like, okay, I'll, I'll follow the breadcrumbs. And, and yes. here you are talking to me and you've written a three book trilogy. I mean, that's incredible. And you have more ideas and you're going to continue writing and it's horse-based. I think that's, it's just hmm. miraculous. So what's, I mean, next, what are you curious about? I mean, you're, you're, you're about to launch your trilogy wide, you know, you've been organically letting it grow for a while. You've got some ideas running around in your head. You're very active with, you know, training and judging and clinics and all that stuff. Like what's next? Do you, do you have like a big idea or, or a plan? I do. 
Mm. I do. Uh, as far as the writing goes, I actually have a list of five. I have five projects, one of which I'm not exactly sure which is going to come out first. But as soon as things get a little bit more automated, the marketing, the trilogy, if you have a thriller that I'm going to write, it's not a horse book. That's I'm excited about that. And this will be a novel because I've already I've outlined it and it's there's there's a lot to it. And that river there is going to run a little bit deep. It's going to be a thriller, but one that one that addresses the the thing that runs inside all of us our innate good and our exposure to evil and then what how our choice how our the choices that we make affect the outcome of our lives and somebody and and so many others so it's 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 a really slick story it's really cool i'm very excited about that from the horse end of things i have a couple of children's books that are in that are working up here but back to the you know the horse gone silent trilogy there was one book that that was almost I almost wrote instead of Brielle's promise. In the book, there's a in the book there's a common theme about vultures, and the vultures in our lives, and how when we're not paying attention, those vultures can sweep in and they can they can pick at us and they can they can hurt us without even knowing. And some of these vultures we create ourselves, and that there's seven vultures that we all have to deal with at some point in our life that book is definitely on the horizon which one comes first i'm not 100 sure yet <laughs> seven vultures will be themed very much like the the trilogy um, a little bit of an offshoot that, that'll be a cool book i think that that's cool that you mentioned too that you're gonna write a thriller and it doesn't have horses in it it's okay for people who write equestrian fiction to switch over and you know not pull horses into our stories but they just happen to be our, you know, our passion is horses, you know, but it's, we, a lot of us write across genre and that's great that you showcase that. And I wish you so much success with where you're going. If only we could like make time expand, right. You know, because like with all these ideas that are running through our heads, you know, it's like, just wish you could make time stand still so we could get all the projects done quicker. But uh, I think that's what, the joy of living is though and it isn't getting these things created and accomplished and having these lists of things that we're inspired to do and as far as writing which one you're going to write next my advice is always follow the muse whatever is lighting you up the most is what i i think the muse wants you to work on so like once i stopped like ignoring my muse and just said okay if you want me to work on this i'm going to work on this right. things just started happening it was pretty pretty awesome like rather okay. than have tos i started just following what was calling me, like whatever was lighting me up at the moment. So if that helps at all. <laughs> That's great advice. <laughs> so Sheen, I have loved talking to you today. I cannot wait to read the Horse Gone Silent trilogy. It is definitely on my to-read list and uh, you've had so much success already. I can't wait to see what you do when you launch it wide. Can you let listeners know where they can find you and your books online? Oh, sure. So uh, books can be found at uh, Amazon.com. And then I, I have a website for the books, HorseGoneSilent.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if someone wants to take writing lessons from you, is that something that's out in the world and available? So my, my coaching um, coaching is at ShaneLedger.com. Everything about coaching and my judging and, and clinics and that sort of thing, they can find that there. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And I'll make sure to link to all those places in the show notes, along with some amazing pictures that Shane is going to share with me. So you can learn a little bit more about him and get directly to him. And thank you for the gift of your time, Shane. I have so enjoyed talking with you and I see nothing but 
tons of success, you know, moving forward into the future for you. Thank you, Carly. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and riding, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.